Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Each episode, I sit down with an inspiring person from the magic community. We hang out on their kitchen table to talk about Magic the Gathering as they share stories from the journey of their lives. This is episode 21. In this episode, I'm talking to Elaine Bergeau, the director of global organized play for Wizards of the Coast. Elaine shares with us her role within Wizards, organized play, and the community at large. She also answers my questions about the future of coverage, the future of organized play, and building new partnerships. Elaine also tells us some funny stories about putting on the Pro Tour and some challenges that she's had in the past. Her big plans are to grow the game of Magic by making organized play more legitimate and more exciting with bigger future payouts. I hope you enjoy this very special conversation with Elaine Bergeau. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. Today, we are joined by Elaine Bergeau. Elaine, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to speak with you today. Um, thank you for taking the time to visit us in the office. Did you meet Mitzi? Uh, yes, I have. She's cool, huh? Yeah, she's very, very cool. <laughs> and for the listening audience, Mitzi is a large dragon outside in the lobby. And she's very ferocious, but she's affectionately known as Mitzi. <laughs> Elaine, you are the Director of Global Organized Play for Wizards of the Coast. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means? So as the Director of Organized Play, I'm looking at just like the overall uh, structure of tournaments for Magic the Gathering. Because Magic, by essence, it's a game of competition. It's a face-to-face no competition. And just like there is one of us, if we are playing together, we'll, we'll win and the other will, will lose. So it's the perfect game for competition. And in that sense, over the years, we have um, crafted a suite of events, just like uh, that starts at store level. Uh, so that's just like, you know, if you are playing just like with a group of friends, you can start enjoying low level competition at your store. But when you start being more um, interested in competing with others, you also have the chance to, to compete in just like um, more robust events. And this is where you have events such as Grand Prix, preliminary Pro Tour qualifiers, regional Pro Tour qualifiers up to the uh, Pro Tour and, and to the World Championship. And so, and my role is to look at that suite of events, the way they connect to each other, the way we adjust them based on, you know, uh, how many players participate. And we keep on just like, you know, listening to the feedback of players to see, do we have the right mix? Do we have, are we heading in the right direction? Uh, Do we have some events that are really like inspiring for the people who want to play, but also for the people who want to watch? Because that's also the evolution of um, uh, our tournament structure. It's becoming more and more just like, you know, uh, competition that uh, lots of fans want to watch. Yes, magic is definitely becoming more of a spectator sport at the premier level. It's very exciting. It's great for fans of the game to see how magic sets and magic cards are being utilized at the highest and most elite levels mm-hmm. of play. Yeah, absolutely. Just like um, we, we were actually kind of pioneers um, because the Pro Tour used to be filmed many, many years ago. Um, and then, you know, just like, uh, we look at the, the landscape of esports. So many, just like games are being streamed and there are so many people who are interested in watching games. So we are just like, we felt the, the potential that we have to just like expand our audience here. And that's why we are just like looking at ways to make our, the coverage of our events, uh, better and better. And also just like by, by the type of events that we're offering, just like 
making sure that we present some Grand Prix events, some Pro Tour, and of course, the pinnacle of our events, which is the World Championship. I don't know if you had the chance to um, uh, watch it a bit, uh, the World Championship. It I did. Like a, yeah, you did. Did you like it? Yes, I really loved it. Yeah. So we, we were you know, innovating a lot of things with that tournament. First time that we have all the players on stage, we wanted to create more drama. So that's exactly the type of things you know, that um, we're looking constantly. So how can we make sure that we keep on you know, um, improving the experience? So and both for the players who are playing the, the tournament, of course, but also for the people who are watching at home. And you mentioned a little bit about esports just now. The vast majority of people I've spoken to and asking them about the future of Magic, what they'd like to see changed, they always talk about Magic as an esport. But I know that Magic isn't really an esport because it's a trading card game. It's a physical paper game that people sit across from each other and play. Mm -hmm. What are your goals in developing Magic coverage? The reality is that we want to have um, you know, a seat at the table. We already like have a, a very, very robust viewership. Um, you know, if I'm taking the example of the recent World Championship, we had over one million you know unique viewers just uh, watching that, that game. So although we are you know uh, technically just like a physical card game, the fact that we can just like um, uh, present um, uh, competitions and stream them like that is, is giving us um, uh, you know a seat at that table of esports. But of course, we want to have a stronger presence there. And it's going to be like about making sure that um, our coverage is more and more entertaining because, you know, there are a number of things with magic that are great, especially just like the, um, the energy that you have about um, in-person events. But there are also things that are just like difficult to um, um, just like translate on screen. And that's what we are working very hard on, just like how can we make sure that we make that experience you know, more comprehensive because they'll say, hmm, what's happening? I'm not quite sure about what, what is the strategy played by the players, but um, I can see on camera, but also just like um, add more entertainment, make just like, um, uh, make me feel that it's just like it's a big deal to be playing in, in this level of uh, competition. And that's what we were trying to um, um, accomplish with the whole setup that we had for the World Championship, as an example. What you said was very interesting. There are a lot of things that are intangible that needs to be conveyed either through some kind of context or some kind of implied visual context um, on coverage. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you felt like has improved in the recent months or years that have contributed to that new kind of coverage? Oh, just like I, I can tell you what we have worked on. I just uh, hope that, you know, the viewers are seeing that as improvement. The, the reality is that um, we... We have with Magic um, a challenge is that it's very difficult to follow a game of Magic if you don't play yourself. So we need to strike a balance where the commentators help the um, per person viewing, just like watching at home, understand what's happening, even if they are not just like playing at, at pro level, without also disengaging people are more advanced in the game. Because they say, yeah, but I, I do understand what you are talking about. Just like, yeah, I, I know exactly what, you know, just like what is, what, what is happening here. So it's, it's finding that balance to guide the viewer through the experience. And that's all about the gameplay. Just like make sure that we can also have a better and better commentary about the cards because, you know, the pro tour just like happens only a few weeks after a new set is being released. So there is not a lot of time for the players, for the commentators, for the audience to absorb the new cards. So we need also to be on top of that. Make sure that we have, you know, the expertise just like to help the um, the viewers just like understand what's what's happening here. So that's the thing that we have been working on, and we also work on the overall uh, setup so that it feels like you know just like it feels professional. 
um, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed when I'm looking at um, uh, the level of um, production of some of the the, the the sport competition. It's it's great to see gaming, you know, just like taking such a, a space now. It was not the case five five or ten years ago. So we are looking at uh, also at this direction. So how can we make things uh, look better? How our talents can just like uh, present themselves differently? The level of interaction. It's going from just like, you know, the game itself, from the overall presentation, and also uh, something that I really would like to make sure that we can do a bit better and better is also capture the energy of the event by itself, uh, which is like, you know, a challenge because uh, Pro Tour, as an example, there are 400 players. Most of the time, you know, you see only table with two players playing, so you don't have a sense about what's happening in the room. The fact that actually, you know, there's this field of players and round after round, they just like, they, um, you know, they compete, they just like, uh, they advance in the tournament to uh, eventually just like uh, make it to the higher seats. Um, but I really want to, to be, be sure that we, we can also share that, that energy, what's happening in the room. So there are many, many things that we, we, we have been working on and there are plenty that we can continue working on. Yeah, I really get that sense of what you're saying, Elaine, about improving the context about having viewers understand what's going on in the game, because it is a complex game. Much of the game is represented on the cards, but also the game state and everything else is represented within the players' minds mm -hmm. and people who are actively there from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. I'm seeing things like graphical overlay changes mm -hmm. where players' hands are being displayed in a very clear way. I see texts being made a little bit bigger. I see card art being made a little bit bigger. I hear commentary describing the card from what set it is, the mechanics of the set, and also the mechanics of the card, and how it's used in this particular context of the game, and also in other contexts of the game. So it's so very recently, I've seen that it's bringing in a more holistic view for what that instantaneous drop-in on that particular moment of coverage is. You are describing exactly just what I was summarizing about you know, guiding the, the viewer in that experience. So if you feel that you know we are going in the right direction, that's encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's very, very interesting because... You know, when you you listen some commentary and you feel like I learned something today, just like now I better understand understand how that card works, and it's very fulfilling. As a no, I know that just like there are some commentators just I feel like oh I'm smarter tonight because I understand better the interaction between between the cards, and that's exactly what we want to convey. Another thing that we are also uh, focusing more and more is the narrative around the players because. The cards are, you know, the key. The, the, of course, you know, it's everything re revolves around the card and the strategy. But the cards are nothing without the players who are just like assembling the decks, just testing, just devoting so much time, just like to playing at that level of competition, and uh, sharing these stories with um, uh, with the rest of uh, uh, the community is a, is very important. When we have smaller events like the World Championship, because it's only a twenty-four player uh, tournament. And we know who is uh, qualified weeks in advance. We can have that, that opportunity just like to um, more topics, more videos about the, the, the players. And that's something that I, I want to make sure that we make more and more because, you know, it's important to give a face to um, um, uh, just like to competitive magic. Whenever I hear just like or see the comments of players who are rooting for, uh, you know, their, their favorite player, that also so makes the competition so much more exciting. So we need to be able to uh, bring even more of that excitement to our to our viewers. Yes, absolutely. You were talking about uh, bringing more of a backstory 
for players. And that is one of the core tenets of this podcast, because I don't talk a lot about strategy. Of course, strategy does come up. But most importantly, I want to talk to people and mm-hmm. hear their voices and also hear their backstories. What kind of information or data does the coverage team get through social media or people just giving you feedback or you find viewership increasing or decreasing or certain kind of metrics digitally? Um, so we are looking at both, of course, just like the, uh, the numbers and um, also the, the, the qualitative uh, comments that we are receiving. Um, the numbers are just like, of course, something that we are monitoring very, very um, carefully. It's very encouraging to see the size of the audience that we, we are we are seeing being just like, you know uh, interested in watching some magic um, show after show. The challenge is that the um, viewership for for given pro tour is influenced a lot um, by the time zone where the event takes place, and uh, eventually just like the top eight or just the last days, you know, depending on uh, who is in, in the competition. As an example, we, we, we see sometimes that our Japanese audience is less interested if there are no, um, you know, uh, Japanese players in the top eight. It doesn't happen often because they are playing very well, but no, just as an example. So that's a very good measure. Uh, besides the number of Unix, of course, what is really interesting is to, li- uh, to look at the number of engagements. So how many minutes a uh, um, person was watching uh, you know, so some of the pro tour? And, you know, we have some very, very strong numbers here because it's just like it's more than 100 minutes. So it's a lot of, no, <laughs> it's a lot of magic, uh, which tells us that, you know, we are, we are heading in the, the right direction. But, you know, we, we also know it's, it's because magic is so, so, so interesting. Uh, so what I'm seeing here, just like, um, you know, we, we fully realize that there are so many things that we can do better. So that's a very good measure. That's the first measure back to your question. But more important than that, just like, of course, it's just like the, um, um, uh, the reaction that we are getting from the fans. And it's something that um, I've been discussing a lot with my team. Find some ways to um, organize that feedback um, better because it's a little bit organic. And uh, just like I really am really interested in um, getting response of, of fans, especially when we start a, a new feature. So say, oh, so we tried this thing at the Pro Tour. What did you think? So we're, we're, you are going to see this type of, you know, more organized feedback um, in, the, in, the, in the future because that's, that's what matters, you know, how our, our viewers are feeling. Elaine, you talk a lot about getting feedback from the community. What specific avenues do you and your team like to get feedback from? So, for example, either from Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or direct email comments or Twitch chat. Um, you know, there's lots of different channels to get feedback from. You're absolutely correct. There are many, many diff- different channels. But very interestingly, it seems that um, the different channels um, don't um, are necessarily very powerful for the uh, f- feedback on the organized play. Um, so as an example, the Facebook feed, it doesn't really talk much about what's related to um, uh, organized play or, or even the, the, including the coverage. Um, Reddit's more interested. And uh, uh, I think that Twitter is really our primary uh, source for, for, for feedback. We also receive uh, feedback by, by email when people want to elaborate on their feedback. And we, we, we would read that as well. But it's primary uh, through, through Twitter. Which is um, a little bit of a challenge because Twitter has its limitation, as you know, <laughs> the number of characters make it sometimes very hard to, um, you know, go into a conversation. But sometimes, you know, that just like, uh, you know, we don't need to also to have um, lots of detailed sentence to really understand what, what, what our, our viewers uh, appreciated or not. 
Um, but we are looking at some over platforms that could be more adapted, better adapted to um, channel this type of feedback. When it comes to the chat, the chat is too volatile, just like it's gone. So, you know, and most of the time I'm, I'm watching just like more uh, what's happening live. So I don't really pay attention to the chat. And the audience, you know, the, the groups of people interacting on every different platforms are different. I wish I would hear more from the people who are on Facebook because they tend to be more interested in the game in general. Uh, so I would love to get their, their views about, you know, hey, are you interested in just like watching some magic? What can do we better? What did you like? What did you not like? So we'll, we'll f figure out how to, um, you know, I was saying just like organize that feedback better. Yeah, absolutely. It is very difficult to get feedback from the community because there are just so many separate channels. So I do understand the challenges that that presents. I do know that the magic community can be quite vocal about what they want and what they see in and what they observe. Mm -hmm. But I also do know that because this is your job and this is also your team's job, you have a pretty strong handle of what is to come and also what to be done with all of this. <laughs> and these are tough decisions to make, for sure. Absolutely. But just like at the end of the day, you know, we, we want the fans to be happy. So that's what matters. Yes, absolutely. Helene, can you share with us a little bit all the coordination that goes into something like preparing for a pro tour? Preparation of a pro tour starts uh, years in advance. You know, when, when we start, you know, looking at the overall schedule and looking at um, uh, the venues where we'll be able to run um, the tournament because there are a lot of, you know, um, criteria for picking, selecting the right venue in terms of the size, in terms of, you know, what we need for coverage, um, accessibility for players. And then just like, you know, in the months ramping up to the event, just like we have several teams, some of them are working on the event itself. So just like setting up the venue to make sure that we have what we need to uh, run the tournament properly. And we work with um, a company just like who is like um, managing that for us because it's a really large production, as you can, can imagine. And then we have a team who is working more specifically on the coverage part. So it's months of, um, um, it's months of work leading up to the, uh, to the pro tour. And we also have the part where we take care of the players because when the players start being, you know, getting qualified, we we get in contact with them to make sure that they are, um, well they have the information that they need <laughs> to attend the tournament. We organize their trip, their travel with um, uh, the, the travel agencies. So just like there is like you no know, um you no know, these these different um, uh, teams that are just like uh, working on different aspects of the show. It's a big production when we're on site. We have about 80 people working in the Pro Tour. So, uh, you know, it's true that most players will see about the staff. The staff is just like, it's probably like, what, 10 of us? But, you know, what's his staff? But just like the, 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 the crew by itself is way larger. Um, and we need to orchestrate the, all these different uh, teams so that they, you know, they have the space they need to do their work. Uh, everybody's on schedule. We, we move from one, one, one round to another because the way the tournament works, has some impact on every and everything else. So we have some very elaborate process so that we uh, monitor how the tournament goes when we're on site, so that we can make some decisions when necessary. As an example, if we happen to uh, take some delay because there is like um, something that happens that delay the tournament, we need to make sure that we work on the, the implication for for the coverage team, so, you know, the talents, so because they will need to um, talk for about something else, but also for the crew, because it can, could mean that, you know, we have some extra time and uh, it's going to impact the schedule for making the changeover in the, the evening and stuff like that. So it's very interesting. It's very um, close to, um, um, you know, the production that um, um, theater would have in you know, many instances. 
it's, it's really fascinating. I'm, I'm trying just to give a few examples about what it can mean, but I'm, I don't want to be too technical about that because I will start geeking out otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, now that you're painting a picture about how complex it all is, it does seem like it is a big theatrical production. Um, and I do know, yeah, if something does happen in the middle of the event, then coverage team has to be notified for it and the crew also mm -hmm. has to adjust for those timelines as well. And, you know, just like the, the, the bottom line is that there are always things that you don't uh, plan for an event. Um, in my in the years that we have been working in organized play, I, I could give you just like many, many different <laughs> examples of things that go wrong. So a um, few years, about 10 years ago, we had a flood, just like we were in Valencia, Spain, and um, just like really the whole venue was flooded. So we had to find a solution for just like, uh, because the venue has to be evacuated, of course. And for the very first time in um, uh, the, the story of the Pro Tour, we had to uh, cancel the one of the Pro Tour. But then we had to work on logistics, say, how can we run a Pro Tour? So in two days, instead of three days, it was really a very, very fascinating exercise. So we had the flood. We had also um, uh, the situation where when we were setting up a Pro Tour in London, Uh, there were some bomb attacks in the metro. So, of course, it was impacting the whole show because, um, you know, it was very just like we, we were, you know, trying to track the staff who was on their way to London because there was no transportation. People had to walk for far sometimes. So I, I can give you, I don't know just like how many examples I have, but just like that's also what I'm talking about, just mm -hmm. always being prepared, you know, <laughs> to... Um, Something that you you never know what's going to happen because, oh, to be honest, the flood in Valencia was really like saying, ah, seriously, a flood in Valencia? I could think about that somewhere else, but not not in that city. But that's that's interesting. That just like that makes good stories as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Definitely having to uh, adjust with your team on the fly for any kind of crazy things that occur. So, Elaine, we've gotten a pretty good understanding of kind of what you do and your role and how you and your team create what we see as Grand Prix and Pro Tours and organized play. It's also very interesting for audiences to understand a little bit better how you and your team go through making changes that come to organized play. Just recently, in the last year or so, there have been several announcements made from changes to the Pro Players Club and appearance fees, as well as the future of the future payout structure of tournaments as they are increasing. It's an ongoing process to reassess our programs. Just like Magic is way bigger than it used to be five years ago. We have also some, some ambitions. You know, we want Magic to be even bigger. I want to make sure that just like we have, uh, you know, more and more players who just like can consider themselves as pro players and just like making a living of gaming. It's, it's fabulous. Something that nobody would think would be a really something possible 20 years ago. So looking at um, these ambitions and these goals that we have, We put in perspective the effectiveness of our different programs and look how we can make them better. So, and there are different things that we are looking at. Sometimes we are looking at changes to um, make sure that we are increasing the integrity of the game. Uh, sometimes it's about just like, as you were saying, how can we make sure that we are making our tournaments more compelling for the players and also for the viewers by having bigger prize money? And all that we've just because I have, of course, some, some, as anybody else working in the company, some constraints and just like some, you know, guidelines. So, so it's a matter of looking at just like putting on the table all the components of a given event and saying, where should I, we put our efforts, you know, uh, the, the best possible way to make the event better ultimately for the, for the players and meet our goals. So that's, um, how, as an example, we have decided to shift some money. 
which we used to be fairly um, invisible because, you know, we have a benefit just like the hotel benefit for the platinum players. Most of them, anyway, prefer to um, um, share um, um, housing with their test testing team. So you say, maybe this money, which is like fairly invisible, we should be better repurpose it into price belt, which is like not only visible, but also more tangible. You know, do I prefer as a person having a benefit such a hotel room or the, the possibility to win maybe 2000 or 3000 dollars? Probably like the cash will be like more, more compelling. So this, this type of, you know, uh, options that we are looking at and looking at just like the, the best possible way to um, uh, deliver that to the players. Is it going to be through just like more appearance fees, you know, because it could be benefiting only for, you know, uh, this, this number of players? Or is it from, uh, for, for just like additional price payout, which is something which is interesting for more players in the sense where they feel that they have more of a shot, you know, they have a chance to accomplish that. So it's always keeping in mind that we open the door, we keep on having a door open to newcomers. So that even because you, you might be playing just like only with your friends today, but maybe in six months from now, you will be interested in playing at competitive level. And so just like knowing that you have, you have a shot yourself, you know, it's what makes our system compelling. And that's what I'm, I'm always keeping in mind, that balance. Yes, it is a very important balance. There was a lot of feedback coming out of the community at that time, and your team had retracted some of it and made some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit more about the mindset or... Could you talk a little bit more about your thought process going into making those adjustments? Okay, so you are talking about the, the, the because I was talking about the, the, the Sydney announcement, where I, which was after we had processed the, the information that we had received after the first announcement in uh, yes. Madrid. Mm-hmm. So it's true that earlier this year, so it was like in uh, spring, April, we had yeah. Uh, yeah, we had announced some changes that um, the players were didn't really understand because we were too soon. We were just like they were thinking that we were breaking some promises, um, and I will I realized that oh, okay, I was thinking that you know it was going to be like a good thing for the players because it's always meant to be just like you know something that they, they will benefit from. But, you know, it was really an eye-opener about saying, hmm, you are breaking a promise because if you don't say anything, we assume that we'll get the same thing. If Watsi doesn't say anything before we enter the next season, I just assume that I will get the, the, the same benefits. So that's, that's what I was talking about. So that was the first thing. Say, oh, okay, good. Note, we are, we've learned our lesson. So now we have to make sure that when we announce things, we just like we announce we time our announcement with them, um, you know, um, better so that just like people don't feel that say. But I started, you know, working towards that goal because I had that, you know, dream, and now you are just like changing the rules mid-game. So that's what uh, you know. Uh, that was the first the first learning. The other interest, very interesting thing was the fact that because we were uh, transforming uh, some appearance fees it, into a higher price payout for the World Championship, and I was thinking, well. Overall, it's um, uh, when, because when, when we were working with the team on you know, preparing these changes, we're thinking the whole community is going to benefit from that because higher price payout for, for the World Championship is something very visible. It gives a lot of legitimacy for Magic because it's very flashy. So, you know, all of a sudden you can have a player just like wins $100,000 at a tournament, a Magic tournament. That's pretty cool. So we were thinking that, you know, uh, the community would, would look at that benefit on one end. Additionally, because of the uh, strong overlap in between the people who get the, the, the appearances that we are planning to transform into the, the, 
the price belt, say, hey, the strong strong overlap means that you know it's shifting a little bit the way you get it, but the money is still here. And instead, it was received say, no, you are really changing the rules again because the appearance fees is something that it's safe. I know that I will get it. I work towards my level. I will get my appearance fees, and I don't have to worry. It helps me sustain my lifestyle as a uh, as a pro gamer. When just like a higher price belt, it's more like maybe I will get it. And even if you tell me that I might get it, getting it at the end of the season, it's not the same at all as getting it just like a pro tour by pro tour. So that was my the the, the thing that we we listened, and that's why just like. Say okay, we we understand. Just like it's, it's meant to be satisfy you, she doesn't have to revert back the changes. And what we did since is to engage uh, really um, uh, regularly with um, um, uh, with the pro community. We created a group uh, where we communicate a lot through Google uh, Google Group. We have some in person meetings, and of course, they represent their local communities. It's not only about the twenty people who are in the group. So it helps us get a better sense of how what we have in mind might be received by the community so that we can just act tweak. Uh, tweak or just like say, hmm, maybe we have to think about a different type of ID. And it has been extremely uh, it's interesting to, to just like to interact this way. Um, we started that group a few weeks after Madrid. So we had an um, in-person meeting at the Grand Prix a few weeks later. And that helped us craft some of the over changes that we announced uh, in Sydney. So just a few months. So, you know, we, we kind of bounce back, say, okay, uh, the community wants to talk to us. We are going to talk with the community now. That's our commitment in the future. Yes, absolutely. I understand what you're saying. You know, it's better and more tangible to have a larger prize payout for a larger marquee event at the end instead of having invisible benefits. I mean, they're still benefits. They're still part of the prize structure, but they are more or less invisible benefits that occur earlier on and throughout the entirety of the year. I also think that it is good to foster a pro community mm -hmm. and foster a group of people who are basically the evangels of the game. Have you or your team ever thought about bringing in outside sponsorship, outside money? I mean, Wizards is owned by Hasbro, and Hasbro is very well connected with many other industries. For example, we see in the esports industry, energy drinks and uh, PC hardware and things like that. Other sponsorships come in mm -hmm. to support and fund these teams. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like we are, uh, you know, in the process of professionalizing um, our competitive structure and that professionalization comes with also working on partnerships and sponsorships. So we are just getting started in that domain, you know, because it's not as if there are 50 companies waiting for us. I, I wish it were, were the case, <laughs> but uh, we, we are getting started to go in that direction. We also um, are in the process of hiring additional resources, you know, within the teams and with different skills, you know, just like in that, uh, that area, because that's how we will be able to continue Growing our price belt, just like make sure that we 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 can, as, as you were just like a very right, rightfully saying, just having that pro gamer just like a dream being uh, alive and being a reality for uh, for many of our fans. How far down the future will we get to see some kind of additional partnerships and sponsorships? Oh, if it were only up to me, it would be next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, just like it's uh, the reality is that. Um, it's um it's a complex process because uh, uh you know we need to take it um, one step after the other, but um uh, in the next year you will already start seeing some you know uh, different uh, different things for for magic. I mean, I'm I'm working on lots of different different things to keep on making our competitive uh, gaming structure better and just like uh, with um with some 
uh, solid partners. Elaine, can you talk a little bit more about what you and your team's goals are for improving organized play? I know we talked a lot about wanting to improve awareness, to improve more, have more players come into the game, improve coverage. Um, but what are some of your bigger long-term goals? Bigger and longer terms, just like, you know, first off, um, it's about making sure that uh, through events and through just like our coverage, Magic is really widely regarded as the best strategy game. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. If you're asking me a big goal. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. it's just like, it's what it means ultimately because, um, you know, it's about having that legitimacy through, through our tournament structure and having that recognition in the um, uh, broader gaming industry because we are, we have, you know, um, more than 20 million fans, you know, just, as you know, for Magic, but it's just like, we're just starting scratching the surface. I think that we have a way bigger, you know, just like a seat at the table in a few years from now, just like, you know, we being really like um, when people will be thinking about gaming and say, what? is like the best strategy game it's going to be thing that will come in mind will be magic because of all the efforts that we are developing today elaine i wanted to ask you about the future of organized play and i want to combine it with a topic that a lot of people have talked to me about and asked me about and i've asked them about which is um, magic as a digital product um, not too long ago hasbro announced during an investor meeting a product called magic digital next there's also development and success in the new Duels of the Planeswalker product, which is also digital on consoles and tablets. Helene, would you ever see organized play and premier competitive play go to those digital products? There is definitely a future for Magic, just like which is like goes beyond just like the um, the paper um, iteration of the game. And I can just like see, but and I'm the only one, just like see a future where actually, you know, digital and paper just enhance each other for the best possible experience, both for the players who are playing, just like, you know, giving them more opportunities, more accessibility, as you can imagine, but also for the viewer, because um, some of the changes that we're talking about uh, when it comes just like to uh, watch sometimes some magic games, can you imagine you know, how it could look like a few years from now? Mm-hmm. So that's exactly, you know, what we are, what we are wor- working towards. There have been so many ideas floating around. Um, you know, people's imaginations run wild. I've been asked often about uh, the use of augmented reality uh, with uh, magic. Uh, magic cards are pretty standardized, but there's a lot of different versions of card art, foiling, and also the resolution on the screens. I know augmented reality is somewhat of a technical challenge. Have you, has you have you and your team thought about using that? Well, the development um, in that level, just like uh, what you are talking about, is not is not. The- uh, something that my team is looking into. I'm really looking at to um, the, just like saying, once the product is there, and of course we will, we will just like we always um, collaborate very closely with the other teams. Um, but say, how can we just like leverage it? Just like how can we make the best of that? So that we the, the experience again for the viewers, just like you know, what you are looking, just like more spectacle, more entertainment. It's um, um you just like you are hooked instead of watching 100 minutes, you, you want to watch 200 minutes of magic. I feel that magic right now is in a second renaissance, that it's growing tremendously. There's lots of new players entering the game. The quality of the game is incredibly high. Fantastic mechanics, great sets, compelling story, lots of new powerful cards and mechanics. And also the art is incredible. And also with new, the new set, Kaladesh, everything is just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. You guys are on this trajectory right now of success. And then also, there was recently very new leadership that came into the company, Chris Cox. Could you talk a little bit about what Chris's thoughts are for the game and the company? Well, the, what is very exciting is that just like as you were saying, Magic is in a very, very good trajectory. I have the chance to have been working for the company for you know a long time and 
when Chris uh, came on board, just like he's bringing a different just like perspective because first just like he's a gamer uh so which bring, brings the like, second um, some renewed ambitions uh by the way is looking at the, the business which is different just like a lot of you know emphasize on just like uh, all our competitive gaming and just like making sure that we can just like take magic to a, to a really really like a place where where we are not yet and that's really exciting that's inspiring for the whole company i cannot just like say more about the detailed plans because it's not it's not mine to share but what i would like to focus more on since like that's that's um sense of just like uh energy and the fact that uh, we felt that as, as i was saying we are just scratching the surface we managed to establish that bench you know through just like um you know years of hard work you know developing that uh, network of stores just like having thousands of stores around the world just like, hundreds of thousands of people who are playing in the pre-release and not just like say well from there, what's next? And that's what this what's next that we're working on right now. You will you will hear a lot more just like you know in the near future. But um, can tell you that um, being in the building at the moment feels like being at the beehive, where you know different teams are very busy just working on them, uh, on different initiatives. That's that's very exciting times. Wonderful. Yes, it is very exciting, and I'm and I am looking forward to it. And I also know that you and your team work very hard to nurture and foster the community, even though not all things go completely as planned as if we've heard. But it's very good to know that you are so connected with everyone, and that you are always so welcoming of feedback and so welcoming and inclusive of everyone in the community. That you are so gracious to have a conversation with me, and also so gracious to share uh, your voice with everyone. So I really want to thank you and acknowledge oh, you for you. that. Thank you. That's very nice from you. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to ask, are there paths for people in the community, players, fans of the game to join you and your team? Um, absolutely. Just like we are, as I was mentioning, we are always, you know, very uh, eager to um, uh, receive feedback because if our programs are just like are not, um, are not well understood by our fans, you just like we, we can think about some improvements. Um, um, you know, it's it's always, you know, we, we always have some very good suggestions. So we do monitor feedback as a company very, very closely whenever it comes through our, our just general portal, because, you know, just like without the game support, they are doing an excellent job about just like making sure that the, the feedback they receive is being shared to the different teams. We have our community team who is doing amazing job just like, you know, looking at the different platforms about the, the conversations, monitoring the conversation and sharing with us. And as far as I'm personally concerned, I'm, 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 I'm I'm available on Twitter, just like uh, people just like ask me um, questions, just like I, I like just like it, it, getting their opinion, um, sharing their dreams also. <laughs> uh, that's part of the, the fun part of the, the job. Uh, but no primary Twitter as far as I'm concerned. Okay, wonderful. Um, and my, my Twitter handle is not very um, original. I make it simple. So, you know, at, at Hélène Bergeau. <laughs> <laughs> Your Twitter handle is Hélène Bergeau. Yeah, okay, correct. Wonderful. Anywhere else to find you on social media? Uh, the rest of the social media that I'm having is more personal. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I keep it for, you know, posting my shoes and things like that. <laughs> okay. Elaine, thank you so much for sitting down with me today for Kitchen Table Magic. All of the links will be in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Elaine, thank you so much for your generous time to uh, be here today. It's very rare that I have the, the, the opportunity to uh, dive into just like more what I'm doing. <laughs> I hope it was not <laughs> too many details. But it's just like, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, I really appreciate the conversation because it gives me also a perspective of maybe the fact that there is a level of transparency that we should deliver to our players about what we are doing that would help them better understand. 
what we're trying to accomplish. So our, our conversation was very, very, very useful to me. So thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Elaine Bergeau. Elaine is looking forward to your feedback. Connect with her on Twitter at Elaine Bergeau. That's at H-E-L-E-N-E-B-E-R-G-E-O-T. Elaine and her team are always open to feedback to improve coverage and organize play. As she mentioned before, she's looking for more feedback from audiences on Facebook. So wherever you like to hang out on social, and if you have feedback for coverage or organized play, please send Helene your questions and comments. Thank you so much for listening to Kitchen Table Magic. If you haven't done so yet, remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get podcasts. Please leave a review in iTunes. I love hearing your feedback on the show. Coming up in the season one finale of Kitchen Table Magic. It's very funny because a lot of people will say, you, you, you have no training in game design. And like, you do understand when I started, there was no, you couldn't go to school and study game design. Now you can. Back then, that, that just wasn't a thing. Um, and so like, yeah, a lot of it was on the job and, you know, listening to Richard and watching games. And I mean, I think a lot of getting good at something is just doing it a lot. You know, how do you get good at magic design? Well, do a lot of magic design. And I feel like I look back and I made a lot of mistakes early on. And I, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. So like a lot of just getting good at it is just the repetition of just trying things. The audience will give you feedback very loudly and very bluntly. And in taking all that feedback and, you know, I really felt it was super important to interact with the audience. And so I've made that a big part of what I do. But the secret there is it makes me a better designer that when I understand what the audience wants, I can design better for them. And so the reason I answer so many questions in my blog or interact so much is I want to know what people want in in conglomerate. That's the hard part. Like people always think that I want this one individual thing, but does that represent what the majority of people want? And it's a balance of trying to make sure there's so many audiences that want so many different things. How do you make sure that every audience gets something that they want, but that you're making every set sort of apply to all the different people who play Magic? I'm talking to the head designer of Magic the Gathering, Mark Rosewater. Mark tells some amazing stories about how he found the game of Magic, meeting Richard Garfield, and getting his first gig at Wizards. Mark also shares with us his thoughts on designing Magic's past, present, and future. You don't want to miss my conversation with Mark Rosewater, all on the season one finale of Kitchen Table Magic. <laughs>